Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. The year was 1984. Pope John Paul II invited the young people of Rome to join him at the Vatican on Palm Sunday during the Church's Holy Year of Redemption, a Jubilee year. Carissimi giovani, al termine dell'anno santo affida a voi il segno stesso di quest'anno giubilare, la croce di Cristo. No one could have expected what followed. St. Peter's Square filled with more than 300,000 young people from all over the world. Delighted by the outcome, the Pope decided to call young people to Rome again the next year to celebrate the International Year of Youth, as declared by the United Nations. The number of young pilgrims grew. Per gli anni che verranno è stata istituita la Giornata Mondiale della Gioventù. The charismatic John Paul believed that the church needed to accompany young people better, to share their joys and struggles, and empower them to live the gospel in an increasingly complex, globalized world. And with that, World Youth Day was born. Cari giovani, dicendo sì a Cristo, voi dite sì ad ogni vostro più nobile ideale. So, what exactly is World Youth Day? I think the idea of World Youth Day began when Karol Wojtyla was not yet bishop, because he was very fond of young people. It's an encounter between youth and Christ, and it's facilitating that encounter. To be told as a young person that God desires you and has a plan for your life, and it's not mediocrity, but it's something great, is a really validating experience. I was really shocked at how much joy and amazement that I got from it. Before World Youth Day, I was just a normal practicing Catholic, but I wasn't into my faith. Um, but World Youth Day renewed it. I mean, like, it's the successor of St. Peter. The leader of the church is just like, it's like right here with us. Il prossimo Jornada Mundial de la Juventud se tendrá in Portugal. This August, young Catholics from all corners of the globe will gather in Lisbon, Portugal for the 17th International World Youth Day since those first two in the Diocese of Rome. And almost the whole time, the Pope, as always, will be there to accompany them. Pope Francis will lead them in the Stations of the Cross, hold a prayer vigil for them, and preside at a massive finale, an open-air mass that could attract more than a million pilgrims. But if it's anything like World Youth Days of the past, there will be certain challenges. This is a pilgrim experience. Don't expect comfort. Don't expect to be sleeping in beautiful accommodation, any of that. It poured the night before the Mass. It was just, we were absolutely drenched. My sleeping bag wasn't waterproof. 
And I remember poking my head out at one point and seeing frogs jumping around. And these aren't just sacrifices made by World Youth Day pilgrims. Each time, the event weighs heavily on the host city's infrastructure, finances, transportation and sanitation systems. There's protest for this and the environmental toll it will take. At least 150 separate groups, including some within the Catholic Church, oppose the festival, citing lavish spending during a time of deep economic crisis. The demonstrators are angry taxpayers' money is being spent on the pontiff's four-day trip at a time of economic crisis. Estimates for the cost go as high as 60 million euros. There are security risks. There are concerns about its potential to spark a mass outbreak of disease in the wake of a global pandemic like COVID-19. And the church in Portugal is facing a reckoning after revelations of a long history of clergy sexual abuse have erupted in the last year. In Portuguese churches, in schools, in priests' homes and in confessionals. For at least 70 years, religious men were abusing their positions of trust to abuse the children in their care. There are also many people who would love to be there with the Pope, but the financial cost of attending a month-long international trip is prohibitive. St. Bridget's has been fundraising for two years to help the group get enough money to make the trip to Portugal. But at more than $4,500 a person, they'll need more than what they've made from bingo nights and bake sales. On top of all this, World Youth Day Lisbon comes at a time of global turmoil and all-out war in Europe. And all of this raises the question, is World Youth Day worth it? On this Inside the Vatican Deep Dive, we will answer this question not by examining these challenges, but by listening to the testimonies of three people who have attended World Youth Day as pilgrims and whose lives were forever transformed by the event. Aura Miguel, a Vatican journalist from Portugal, has covered 13 World Youth Days under three popes. She has just published a book documenting her reporting since the mid-80s. The idea of my book was born because of this World Youth Day. Chris Radziminski, a Canadian engineer and policymaker, had the trip of a lifetime when he lived with Pope John Paul II at World Youth Day in Rome. He was also responsible for all the logistics associated with World Youth Day in Toronto, Canada in 2002, not even a year after 9-11. It was the first event after September the 11th in a major North American city where the Pope would be. Jane Sloan Peters first attended World Youth Day with her father. Today, she has two children of her own and is a professor of religious studies at the College of Mount St. Vincent. She also wrote an article for America magazine about what Our Lady of Fatima has to do with Russia and Ukraine, and now World Youth Day. The Pope wants to place Ukraine and Russia in Mary's hands. He's doing this from you know, a long tradition of popes praying for peace and invoking Our Lady of Fatima in prayers for Russia and the world. I'm Ricardo de Silva, and this is Inside the Vatican. I've been following John Paul II, Benedict, and of course, Pope Francis. This is Aura Miguel the Vatican correspondent for Radio Renascença, a commercial Catholic-owned radio station in Portugal. Aura already has 106 papal flights under her belt. For almost four decades, she has followed the last three popes around the Vatican and the world, 
and been privy to many of their encounters with the Catholic faithful. As a devoted Catholic herself, she says her experience as a Vatican reporter has greatly enriched her appreciation of the role of the Pope, the Catholic Church's central figure. Very interesting to meet three different men as popes. It's interesting in the professional point of view, but in the human point of view is also a very rich experience. Aura has also just released Un Longo Caminho até Lisboa, A Long Road to Lisbon. In her book, she shares her first-hand experience covering 13 World Youth Day events, from her first one in Santiago de Compostela in 1989 to the most recent World Youth Day in Panama City in 2019. She told me her book was inspired by an in-flight conversation with Pope Francis on their way to World Youth Day in Rio de Janeiro. I said, Holy Father, I'm very happy to follow this World Youth Day with you because I've been following all the World Youth Day except the first one in Buenos Aires. And he said, really? I'm the opposite. Until now, I only participated in the first one in Buenos Aires and nothing of the others. This was my idea to build this book because he's coming to Lisbon. Aura's book is still only available in Portuguese, so I called her to learn more about the history of World Youth Day and where it began. I think the idea of World Youth Day began when Karol Wojtyla was not yet bishop because he was very fond of young people. And he realized that when we are young, this is more fresh, this awareness that the heart cries for fullness, for big dreams like love, justice, beauty. And sometimes happens that adults, when young people express these desires, big desires, are quite cynical or... uh, They say, like, bitter a little. Ah, you didn't grow enough. You didn't suffer enough. And Wojtyla say, no, no, you're right. You must take serious these uh, desires you have in the heart. Each successive World Youth Day has been a confirmation of young people's openness to the meaning of life as a gift received a gift to which they are eager to respond by striving for a better world for themselves and their fellow human beings. So you've written this book, which, you know, the English title uh, translates as A Long Road to Lisbon. Right. And you've compiled 13 trips to World Youth Day over the years. And I wonder which one of these sticks in your memory. What's the most memorable story for you from a World Youth Day that you've attended? You know, Ricardo, is very unfair, the question, because <laughs> I cannot answer. Every World Youth Day is uh, different, you know, because nowadays the young people don't even remember who were John Paul II. And even the pontificate of John Paul II was so long Lots of things happened. The first in Santiago Compostela was very fascinating for me. On that time, there was still the wall dividing Europe and so on. Let's talk about that. Your book has much greater detail about this, but can you think about significant world and church events that have taken place over the 13 World Youth Days you've covered? The Toronto World Youth Day in 2002, 
because Pope was really very sick. And yet it was a very interesting World Youth Day because people were saying it, it would be a flop because some months before it was Twin Tower terrorist attack. And there was lots of problems. And the Pope was already very fragile. And this was a very important moment, as well as the 2000 year. The presence of young people was so big that there was no capacity in the city of Rome to join all the young people who were there for the welcoming ceremony. And the Pope was already very sick. He was still able to walk, but there was already lots of health problems and the heat. It was hard, the climate there. In August, it's terrible in Rome. And all it was like more than one and a half million at least already on the Thursday. And uh, the thing that touched me a lot was that everybody was crying. John Paul II was a star, you know, in the St. Peter's Square. As soon as he got the microphone, he said, who are you looking for? Why are you coming here? And they shout, John Paul II. He said, no, no, it's not him. It's Christ you're looking for. The mood was really impressionable because one million young people crying his name, and he immediately turned his attention to the other, the reason of the World Youth Day. That was probably one of the moments that also impressed me a lot. Ecco, cari giovani, è difficile credere in un mondo così nel 2000. So, so if I've understood you well, for Pope John Paul II, especially, the idea of World Youth Day was to center a relationship on Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ in the life of young people, and to have this personal relationship with Christ was central to his idea for World Youth Day. I think it's central for his idea of pontificate. Remember his first words in the first Mass of his pontificate, don't be afraid, open your heart to Christ. But when he began to lost his capacities, physical and even express, he was not able to speak at the end of his pontificate. And to me, I think this don't be afraid, open your heart to Christ, I think it happened there because I think you need to be very free, free person because you don't keep nothing for you, the image, the the success he had. He just was there as the most free man I knew. To allow yourself to be seen unvarnished, right? I mean, even unable to express yourself and yet still communicate Christ's love. Incredible. It's clear this great love that you have for Pope John Paul II and for his vision of World Youth Day. In 2005, Pope Benedict XVI presided over his first World Youth Day in his native Germany. One of his initiatives was to encourage young Catholics to include a time of Eucharistic adoration in their lives. The body and blood of Christ are given to us so that we ourselves will be transformed in our turn. I am pleased to announce that the next World Youth Day will take place in Sydney, Australia.
how has World Youth Day changed through the different papacies? Benedict was not at all charismatic, I would say. He was shy, very shy. The style was completely different, much older. I think he introduced his way. His way mm. is a more rational way to speak about faith. All the pontificate, according to me, of uh, Pope Benedict was to help people to use reason. The centrality of Christ is also there because one of the new things he brought to the World Youth Day, he just introduced something new that's still happening now, and is the adoration of the blessed sacraments after the vigil uh, on that night where young people are staying there all night until the Mass of Sunday. Jesus Christus is the Licht der Welt. It's very interesting because uh, the phenomenon, according to me, was to see the young people applauding the Pope as if they were saying, keep going, we are sustaining you, here we are with you. And I think this was good for him. I think it was the first big, big experience of crowds of young people. One could consider like a rock concert. So they tried to encourage him to be more of a rock star than he was, really, right? Yeah. Right. It was not at all the style of, of Ratzinger, so it was quite funny. And that brings us to Pope Francis. Bienvenidos a vigésima oitava jornada mundial da juventude nesta cidade maravilhosa do Rio de Janeiro. Queridos jóvenes, buenas tardes. Juntos. In Panama, La Jornada Mundial de la Juventud. How is the papacy of Pope Francis shown at World Youth Day? Well, the the style of Pope Francis is really is a four-wheel drive pontificate. And this style is very uh, close to everybody. And we see it immediately during the World Youth Day mainly the way he expresses himself, because his language is really practical. I think his concern is uh, with all this technology and cell phones and internets. During his World Youth Day, he says, he asks, he begs, get out from your home, <laughs> get up from sofa. Don't don't stay by the veranda to see what happens outside. Go go down and meet people. It's that phrase he uses in his papacy over and over, a culture of encounter, right? right? Meet the people where they are. So what are you expecting to be different about this World Youth Day? As you look to World Youth Day in Portugal, what are you expecting to be different? I'm not neutral. <laughs> I'm Portuguese. So So am I. So uh, yeah, we we can certainly share that. I hope there will be an unforgettable World Youth Day in Lisbon. Portuguese are very generous as a hospitality, and we are a little bit nostalgic. We like fado and are crying all the time. So that I don't want to make any predictions about the event, but I'm sure it would be a big, unforgettable event. I'm sure it will be, and there will be great food. You left out the food. We we certainly are a nation of food. And wine. Uh, and wine and, and many pastries. Anyway, 
I'm looking forward to being there with you. Aura, this has been such a joy. My pleasure. Thank you for your time. And nos vemos em Portugal. Combinado. Muito obrigada. My name is Chris Radzeminski. I live in North Vancouver, Canada. Chris has experienced World Youth Day from two very different perspectives. And I've attended two World Youth Days, uh, World Youth Day 2000 in Rome as a participant. I also attended World Youth Day 2002 in Toronto as uh, an organizer. An engineer by training, today Chris works as a policy analyst for the city of Vancouver. Before that, he served as service and justice coordinator for the Archdiocese of Vancouver. And years before that, he was responsible for all the logistics that went into pulling off World Youth Day in Toronto. My role was operations supervisor. So everything from the, the things that are really glamorous, like the stage, the audio, the video, to the less glamorous part of World Youth Day, which are toilets and, and all those fun things that make the event possible. And your experience for this role? I mean, how, how old were you at this stage, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, not at all. I had just finished my master's degree, so I was in my early 20s. Uh, my experience with special events was nil, <laughs> and uh, I had a background in uh, microbiology and engineering. So for the sewage side, I was well-suited. Uh, for the drinking water as well, when it came to the sound, video, staging, uh, I relied on some of the people that worked with us heavily, and they were everything from grizzled rock and roll types who had toured with some of the largest bands to people who were, you know, local producers of movies. But managing musicians and film industry professionals was not the first time that Chris had been starstruck. It was the year 2000 and Chris already knew he had a big assignment ahead of him. He would be on the team that would organize World Youth Day in Toronto two years later. So in preparation for this, that year he was sent to World Youth Day in Rome. The intent of that was there was about 15 of us as an advanced team to learn from the Italians. It was also a year of special significance in the life of the church. It was also the Great Jubilee, so it was uh, quite a spectacular time to be in Rome. Rome being Rome, of course, what a wonderful place to, to be on a pilgrimage. And on top of it, it was uh, World Youth Day, and I had never had an experience like that where I think at the end in Tor Vergata and the, the final uh, vigil and mass, there were north of two, two million people attending. From beginning to end, it was an experience that put an indelible mark on me. But Chris could not have prepared or imagined what would happen next. We were there for several weeks and then World Youth Day started and there was a large influx of pilgrims, probably more than the Italians had estimated. Mm -hmm. And the Pope put out a general call asking for people to house pilgrims. Mm -hmm. And as a, as a demonstration of the Pope's willingness to, to do the same, uh, he invited uh, 15 youth to stay with him. Wow. It was very strange how everything unfolded, or one might say even uh, providential. I had received a, a cell phone call back in the day of flip phones. You may remember those. And uh, it was my, my good friend, uh, Father Tom Rosica, uh, whom I knew from my university days in Toronto. He bluntly stated, he asked me, where, where are you? I said, well, I'm, I'm walking. <laughs> so I had my bag packed and a little van came and picked myself up and a couple of other Canadians. And we were shuttled to Castel Gandolfo, which is the Pope's summer residence. 
What's it like to live at the Pope's summer residence with Pope John Paul II? <laughs> Not a question you get every day. Uh, so the van pulled up, and of course there's Carabinieri at the gate and uh, behind their little nests with their with their guns, and uh, you know they're just waving to us. They were expecting us, of course. And inside we go, and uh, there was a gentleman there uh, to greet us, and he showed uh, where we were going to be staying, and basically told us in broken English that we had. Know, full reign to walk wherever we wanted and so we did so we walked through the pope's gardens which were incredible and really were besides ourselves in amazement that we were in this incredible location we used that as our our base so we attended all the world youth day activities and then one one morning uh, they told us that we would be having lunch with pope john paul ii wow i was, and... I was just about to ask so did you actually meet the pope <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was a out of this world experience because we had a two and a half hour lunch. Wow. What can you share with us of that conversation? So we were in a horseshoe shaped table. The Pope was in the middle. And then he uh, asked for everybody just to uh, come up. There was a microphone set up and just to say a few words. And if you ask me what I said, that part I can't remember. I think this is a universal phenomenon for anybody who meets the Pope. They have no idea what they ended up saying. <laughs> But uh, what I do remember at the end is the uh, Pope insisted that each of us uh, come up to him and give him a hug. And it was a big bear hug that each of us got, which was extraordinary. And uh, he left with his, uh, sometimes people describe his little Charlie Chaplin impression where he takes his cane, twirls it around, you know, with that kind of little impish grin on his face and, and leaves the room. So it was quite the theatrical exit as well. Thinking about World Youth Day itself, you know, was there an event or something that particularly stays with you that you think about today that played a part in your transformation at World Youth yes, Day? Yes, definitely. There, there are two moments uh, I, can, I can highlight for you, Ricardo, one from Rome and one from Toronto. The experience from Rome was being in that field in Tor Vigata, so that's where they had the final vigil and mass. And for those who don't know how that Part works. You make a pilgrimage out to a very large site and overnight there. So there's a vigil that goes into the late wee hours. You sleep on the field, uh, you wake up the next morning and then there's uh, the final mass and then World Youth Day closes. And I remember that vigil vividly. Occasionally I still go to YouTube videos just to, just to look at those extraordinary scenes where you would see Pope John Paul II at one point, the, the Pope, who was quite advanced in, in years at this point, uh, with his hands over his head, waving them side to side, and this whole sea of humanity uh, doing the same. Very, very memorable. And the second was in World Youth Day in Toronto was the Way of the Cross. So that, that happened on a Friday night and that went through the downtown core of, of Toronto, starting at City Hall and then finishing uh, just past the, the legislature building. That was a very uh, profound uh, experience. And, uh, and to this day, every Good Friday, I still watch the, the YouTube recording of that. Uh, it, was, it was such a beautiful experience there. Perhaps the, the one scene that sticks most in my mind was 
Because we were on such a major artery of Toronto, at one point the procession is crossing College Street where there's a streetcar and there's an overhead shot uh, that the national broadcaster has where you see the streetcar is stopped, all these people are lined up and everybody's out of the streetcar uh, looking you know, as the procession passes by. And it was really a metaphor for how this really large booming metropolis stopped just for a few minutes to witness this extraordinary event. So Chris, you shared with me your experience as a participant in Rome. You've now shared with me some of your experience uh, as an organizer uh, in Toronto. Where did the transformation take place for you? Where has your life changed as a result of these two experiences? Great question, and I, and I think the answer to that is always seen in, in retrospect. I mentioned two events that are very vivid in my, my memory. And the transformation, I guess I would say, would have been certainly accelerated by those experiences. And it's continued since. It, it basically, I think, oriented me. It, it set me on a trajectory. So it wasn't a one-time event where, you know, a, a switch was flipped and, and I'm done. I think it was, for me at least, it's been a continual growth and I've been on that path ever since. I'm a professor of religious studies at the College of Mount St. Vincent in uh, Riverdale, New York, the college that's run by Elizabeth Seton's order, the Sisters of Charity. This is Jane Sloan Peters. And uh, I live in Connecticut with my husband and two young sons. Do you see Mary? Maria. Where's Mary? Um, right here. Yeah. Jane had just graduated from high school when she made her pilgrimage from the US to World Youth Day in Toronto. I asked her what it was like to set out for such a global encounter of young Catholics. So it was the summer before I went to college and I went with my youth group from church and my dad actually was one of the chaperones, so that was very special. And we took a tour bus and we drove up and saw the Shrine of the North American Martyrs. We saw the relics of John de Brebeuf and then we drove to Toronto. and. The meeting site for World Youth Day was this big abandoned airfield. So we had to park um, and walk in quite a ways. And walking in was like a big parade. Everybody was so excited. There were people from all around the world walking in. We got there and we spent the night under the stars. Uh, John Paul II was gonna arrive the next day by helicopter to say the mass. And I remember just being initially struck by how global the church was, it poured the night before the mass. It was just, we were absolutely drenched. My sleeping bag wasn't waterproof. And I remember poking my head out at one point and seeing frogs jumping around. <laughs> and then the next day in the morning, it was a complete downpour. I remember standing with my church group under a big blue tarp and waiting for the Pope to arrive. And uh, the rain let up and the Pope's helicopter came and I was able to climb up on my dad's shoulders, which I hadn't done since I was a little girl, and see the Pope Mobile go right by. And as John Paul II was, was driving through, he turned and waved and he looked right at me. And that was a really beautiful experience uh, because he had been very important in my uh, conversion during high school and in my faith life. 
we had the mass, and about halfway through, the sun came out, and the Pope said, And we have the sun. And everybody clapped and cheered. Then I went to college in the fall, and I looked around campus, people walking to class, and I said, hey, that guy has a World Youth Day backpack. And that guy has a World Youth Day backpack. And that's how I met a lot of friends my freshman year. And how have you found that experience has built over the years and impacted on your Catholicism? The message of the Pope and the meaning of World Youth Day is a validation of the importance of the spiritual lives of young people. And to be told as a young person that God desires you and has a plan for your life, and it's not mediocrity, but it's something great, is a really validating experience. I want to turn now because you wrote an article for America in March last year uh, entitled, What Does Our Lady of Fatima Have to Do with Russia and Ukraine? which seems a sharp turn. Um, But given that World Youth Day is taking place in Portugal uh, and there is the Marian Shrine of Fatima there, that makes sense. So that piece is accounted for. Pope Francis is going to be visiting that shrine. And one of the things that Pope Francis has done in March last year was consecrate the Immaculate Heart of Mary at Our Lady of Fatima to Russia and Ukraine. Solennemente affidiamo e consacriamo al tuo cuore immacolato noi stessi, la Chiesa e l'umanità intera, in modo speciale la Russia e l'Ucraina. And you wrote this very moving piece for us. I wonder if you might share with us what is Fatima about, for those who may not know. The history of Fatima is this. In 1917, in Fatima, Portugal, Mary appeared six times. Lucia and her cousins, Francisco and Jacinta, were three shepherd children, ages 10, 9, and 7. And they were in the field one day, saw this flash of light. They thought it was a storm, so they started herding the sheep to go home to take shelter. And then this beautiful woman appeared. And she asked them to return to this place for six months on the 13th day of the month and to pray the rosary every day to obtain peace in the world and for the end of the war. In this case, this would be World War I. So that was the beginning of Fatima. The third appearance of Mary was in July, and at that point there were thousands of people coming and praying the rosary with the the shepherd children. And in this apparition, I would say this is the most substantive of the three. So Mary continues to ask the children to pray for peace and to say the rosary. She shows them a vision of hell and she warns that if there's not conversion in the world, another war will break out under Pius XI. And of course, during the papacy of Pius XI is the annexation of Austria in 1939. And in this appearance, she asks that the Pope consecrate Russia to her Immaculate Heart in union with all the bishops around the world. So there's this special prioritization of Russia and the conversion of Russia. So how do popes over time connect this message to Russia? I think the first question to ask is why Russia? There are a lot of problems around the world. What is it about Russia that gets Our Lady of Fatima's attention? And 
the main thing is going to be the rise of communism in Russia and the atheistic nature of communism. You know, communism is a political system that's really founded on the denial of God's existence. Multiple popes have heeded Our Lady of Fatima's call to pray for Russia. Uh, Pius XII did so in 1942 and again in 1952. Paul VI did so. John Paul II did so as well. In 1984, John Paul II prayed for the whole world, so Russia implicated in that, uh, in union with all the bishops. And he called for unity and he called for peace. This was an act of entrustment to Our Lady of Fatima. And then Pope Francis visited in 2017 for the centenary uh, of Our Lady of Fatima. And now we know that he is going to make a special stop there by helicopter on August 5th, which is the Saturday of World Youth Day in Lisbon. And there we're expecting him again to return to this prayer for peace in the world uh, and especially to return to this consecration of Russia. But last year, Pope Francis made what is perhaps the definitive act uh, in terms of this consecration of Our Lady to Russia and Ukraine. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Previous popes had not been so specific. And Francis called for all the bishops of the world to make this act of consecration with him. So the, the act of consecration came from a request from the bishops of Ukraine. And so Pope Francis did that. One of the 13 sort of official Fatima statues was sent to Ukraine for the consecration. And I learned that at the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception in Moscow, there were Catholics gathered watching the consecration live. That in itself is amazing because that cathedral was closed from 1938 to 1999. You know, it was only recently opened. The Pope wants to place Ukraine and Russia in Mary's hands. And he's doing this from, you know, a long tradition of popes praying for peace and invoking Our Lady of Fatima in prayers for Russia and the world. But he's doing it very specifically in this case of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. He's mentioning Russia specifically, uh, which John Paul II did not do. And he's inviting all the bishops of the world to, to join him, which is part of the request that Our Lady of Fatima made to the children was that not just the Pope, but all the bishops of the world uh, make this act of consecration. And, you know, to consecrate something means to render it sacred. So when we consecrate Ukraine and Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, we're offering the suffering and the trials in these countries to Mary's Immaculate Heart, to this heart that perfectly loves the Lord and receives the prayers of the church and offers these prayers to God. And I think that's what Francis had in mind when he decided to make this act of consecration. And he says, you know, in, in his message at the consecration in Rome, he said, we have strayed from that path of peace. We have forgotten the lesson learned from the tragedies of the last century, the sacrifice of the millions who fell into two world wars. Starve the sea, do not let us be shipwrecked in the tempest of war. Free us from war, protect our world from the menace of nuclear weapons. And, and that seems to be the, the focus of uh, Pope Francis' call for the consecration of Russia, is really to stop this nuclear war that seems to be at our doorstep, basically, and threatening uh, to erupt any minute. 
And so this idea of consecrating Our Lady to Russia is to call for peace. If we then connect this to World Youth Day, how do you think this message is relevant to young people today? Well, I would say that more so than ever before, we can keep up with current events through our phones, through the computer. And young people can open Facebook, as I did just yesterday, and see images of a bombing in Ukraine that a friend of mine posted. And this can weigh so heavily on our hearts. And it gets integrated with all of this other information too. Funny cat videos, pictures of our friends, and then all of a sudden, this this destruction from Ukraine. Through our phones, we're able to be engaged almost in real time with what's happening in these countries. And that can really weigh on a person. It can make you feel helpless. What do I do? And it can make you feel scared. And I think that's certainly true for young people who are glued to their phones or who use their phones as part of daily life. I mean, Pope Francis is constantly calling for this encounter with the real world, encounter with people, you know, move away from your cell phones, leave your verandas and and encounter young people. And so it seems to me that what you're saying there really connects with that message to go out into the world. Yes. And to say, what can I do in the face of all of this uncertainty about nuclear war or in the face of all this devastating violence? What can I do because I feel so helpless? And what the message of Fatima gives us is a way to give these prayers and these worries over to God and to offer our suffering and our fears to God. One of the things I really liked that Pope Francis said about the consecration of Ukraine and Russia to Our Lady of Fatima is that it's not a magical formula, but it's a spiritual act. And he said, It's an act of trust on the part of children who, in the midst of a cruel and senseless war, turn to their mother like a small child turns to their mother when he or she is afraid. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus in the morning, Jesus at noontime. And I love that image because as a mom of two young kids, I'm astonished by the total trust my kids have in coming to me. There's no cynicism, there's no hesitancy. If they're scared, if they get hurt, even if they're angry, they run to me and they have full confidence that I'm going to receive them and I'm going to fix it. I mean, it's very much the experience of World Youth Day, right? these young people on the cusp of life, maybe afraid about what the future holds, looking at the world around them, a broken world, uh, but also filled with hope for the possibility of what might be. And so I think it's a perfect image in many ways, as I think about it now and as I hear you relaying your own experience for what World Youth Day should be for us all. I remember as a young person being so apprehensive about the future questions about what I was going to do, concerns about the state of the world. And I remember coming to World Youth Day and if not receiving direct answers about what I was to do, receiving the grace and the confidence that I wasn't alone and that 
God expected great things of me. And it turns out the great things of me that God expected are things like changing diapers. Um, <laughs> but it gave me great confidence. Jane, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it was good to connect with you, to hear of your experience of World Youth Day and also you know, this important relationship that World Youth Day has to Our Lady of Fatima and to the consecration of Russia. Thank you. As I spoke with Aura, Chris, and Jane and researched the genesis of World Youth Day, I was reminded of my own experience at World Youth Day in Madrid in 2011, when I was a Jesuit in my early years of preparation for the priesthood. Like Aura and Jane, the rain-drenched wait for the Pope is etched in my memory. But what I will never forget is the way it opened me to a new understanding of the worldwide Catholic Church that continues to encourage me on my vocation as a Jesuit and a priest. Our church can be youthful, vibrant, hope-filled, and even fun. And now I'm returning to Portugal, the land of my birth, for World Youth Day in Lisbon, to cover it for America Media, alongside my colleague Gerard O'Connell, America's Vatican correspondent and a regular host on Inside the Vatican. Together we'll cover the biggest headlines, the Pope's meeting with the civil authorities of Portugal and his highly anticipated pilgrimage to Fatima. Jerry will also be with the Pope on the plane to and from Rome, ready to cover Francis's always colorful press conferences on the return flight. But controversial news headlines aren't the reason why hundreds of thousands of young people are making a pilgrimage to Lisbon. They are coming to celebrate their faith in something bigger than themselves or anyone physically present at World Youth Day. Of course, they'll be there to meet the Pope and hear the words of inspiration and encouragement from leaders across the church. But really, they're coming to nurture their faith in Jesus Christ and to grow in their relationship with God. They're coming because World Youth Day might just change their lives forever. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This deep dive episode was produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. Sound design and engineering is by Ashley Spillane. Some recordings for this episode took place in the William J. Loeschert Studio at America Media in New York and were supervised by Kevin Christopher Robles. Special thanks to Laura Oldfather, America Media's summer intern, for her help in gathering archival material. If you enjoyed this deep dive episode, please share it with a friend and on social media. And to support our work here on Inside the Vatican, consider becoming a digital subscriber to America. Just click the link in our show notes. And remember, keep checking our website and your Inside the Vatican podcast feed in August, when Jerry and I will be on the ground in Lisbon to bring you all the news of the Pope's latest in-person encounter with young people 
directly from World Youth Day. You can also follow me on Twitter at RickDSSJ and Jerry at Jerry O'Rourke. For America Media, I'm your host and producer, Ricardo De Silva. Until next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.